welcome back to Criminality, the podcast. <laughs> the podcast. That's it. Just dot, dot, dot. The podcast. The podcast. Colon. Because <laughs> loving reality isn't a crime. Um, we do love reality TV and we do love true crime and we do love making this podcast, don't we, Melissa? Absolutely. I have been looking forward to this since the last time we did this, which seems like a long time ago. It does. And one of these times, one of these intros, we're really going to nail it. We're going to come in strong with a strong lead. Today was not it. Nope, not today. Um, (laughs) Today is not my day, not your day either. Uh, Not forgetting that, but... um, but it is our day to record, and I'm glad about that because we haven't talked in a while. I know. You've been busy. You've, you have taken an interesting trip here recently, Rebecca, that I can't wait for you to share these details. And like, I want to feel like we're there with you. I need to okay. feel, t- explain everything. What happened? I am so excited to share this with you, Melissa, and you, dear listeners, because not many other people care. <laughs> um <laughs> But so first of all, it was great to travel. We obviously, like many people, haven't traveled in over a year, right. but me and my daughter are vaccinated and she just went through the whole college application process this school year, kind of sight unseen, right? We wow. saw local schools here in the New York area, but nobody had official tours. And anyway, so she's gotten her rejections and her acceptances. Mm-hmm. And so we're looking at what her viable options are. And one of them is in California. And it's really hard to imagine going to college in California when you live on the East Coast without seeing it, right. you know? So I'm like, I guess we have to go to Malibu. We have to. Because that's where the college is. So um, so my daughter and I took a really aggressively short, jam-packed long weekend, and we did LA and Chicago to look at a couple of colleges. None of this is interesting to anybody because you don't know my daughter or care where she's going to college. <laughs> we care, but- Rebecca. We care for you, so we care for this. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I guess I'll have that decision in a few weeks where she actually ends up. We, we land in LAX and it's, you know, it's the same as going to New York. You're always keeping your eyes peeled, right? You could see somebody anywhere. And by somebody, I mean a celebrity, preferably of a, a Bravo celebrity. <laughs> um, so it took us forever to get our rental car and it, we landed really early. We left New York at 4 a.m. We landed LA time, like 10.30 a.m. So we're exhausted, get our rental car, and we have to drive all the way out to Malibu from the airport, which is like an hour. And so it's a long drive and we're so hungry. But I had this trip. Melissa, you would be proud. I think this was like a Melissa style plan. Because I get the sense you're a planner that you don't like wing it. Absolutely not. Ever, ever, ever. I don't even like to eat wings because that's just (laughs) (laughs) Even eating wings makes me uncomfortable. There you go. (laughs) I like it. Well, I knew that this trip would depend on accuracy and efficiency. In my normal life, I can be a little more flexible. But with travel and with like a... 18 year old daughter that I really want to like get along with for the weekend. Sure. I thought, let me just have a plan. So I had planned for us to eat at Malibu table, which is on the end of the Malibu pier. And it's, it's this unassuming white beach shack. So adorable, but not fancy. Right. It's off the Pacific coast highway. It's just the most beautiful setting. And it's this casual, but very like super healthy, but expensive cafe. Okay. And you eat outside casual. So we go, we get our food and we get fresh juice. They had every kind of fruit you could imagine in the freshest juice form. So I got a fresh watermelon juice and we sat down to eat and I'm just taking it all in. Right. And I see a young girl, a young woman, probably my daughter's age, maybe a little bit like give or take my daughter's age. I don't know how old she is. And she looks familiar and I'm feeling like I know her and I'm feeling like she's someone. Right. And so I start doing what I do, which is not look like I'm paying attention, but acutely listen to every word Absolutely. that she's saying. And I do not bring my daughter into my inner dialogue because 
I don't want her to shoot this down and Absolutely. I don't want her to make us leave. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I'm trying to engage her, but fortunately she's pretty tired. So she's not talking to me. So I'm just listening to this girl that I feel like I know talk to the girl at her table. And then I'm like, this, this is a housewife's daughter. This is absolutely housewife's oh daughter. Gosh. But you know, it was so out of context. I was so off my game. I was so jet lagged. I couldn't, I'm like, who? And I couldn't stare at her and I couldn't Google, you know. Couldn't ask her. I mean, you could have asked I, her, but that could have asked her, but kicked out. No, that would get me, my daughter would be emancipated. Like forget getting kicked out. Absolutely. <laughs> she would disown me. So, um, then I'm like, it's a Hadid, it's a Hadid, but I'm like, it's not a Hadid. And I knew it was, it's not Gigi <laughs> or Bella Hadid. Cause they're like major supermodel right. celebrities. But I'm like, I'm getting closer. And then and then the waiter says to her, he like drops off food and he's like, did you go to? And I didn't catch what he said, but it sounded like a high school mm-hmm. or a place. And she said, yeah, I'm Lola. Did you know? And then they mentioned Lola, somebody else. And I said, Lola. And then it all clicked. It's Denise Richard's daughter. Oh, my At least gosh. I'm 99.9% sure it is. So... Here's what I gathered. I like that there's still doubt, by the way. There's still 0.01% <laughs> doubt that a Lola in Malibu, who looks like a housewife's daughter, might not be Lola. I well, believe look, you. I, I, I just, I, you know, I'm teachable. And this is, <laughs> that's a great segue for the episode I'm about to share, the story I'm about to share. If I get some things wrong, I would love to hear about it in a loving and kind way. I'm also sensitive, yeah. but I'm teachable. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I could be wrong. There could be another beautiful blonde Lola at the same age as Denise Richards' daughter in Malibu. It's possible. Um, But would another Lola say this? (laughs) So speaking of the Hadid, so now I'm just hanging on their every word. And they're just, they're so cute because they're just these young girls having this conversation about celebrities and like celebrity crushes and who's this and who's that. They're talking about A-Rod and J-Lo's breakup, like who breaks up with her and who cheats on her rather. I'm like, yeah, exactly. And um, that, you know, I can't catch every single word, but I hear Lola say, you know, and we know that Gigi Hadid is the nicest human on the planet. And anybody who knows her would know, would say the same. I mean, I've and said so that like, at least three times to uh, you. Like, and, and right. And you do know of her. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, wow, I felt like that was the confirmation I needed that like she's running in that circle. And then the interesting thing, and this takes a little more, I guess you could say I'm using context clues and it's not as conclusive, but she said, they talking about dancing. And then she was like, oh my God, did you see Ava's mom's most recent TikTok? Now, Ava. Okay. So then my wheels start turning. And I think, well, Reese Witherspoon is very active on TikTok. She is. Much to her kids' chagrin, I've noticed. I mean, it's playful, right? Sure, like sure. she's on there and they're like, okay. So they were talking and laughing about that. So maybe they're also friends with Ava Philippe. Yeah. This is her name, Witherspoon Philippe. I feel like you had a very beautiful mind moment where you're just (laughs) pulling in different clues, (laughs) sipping on a watermelon juice and your eyes are just way going out. (laughs) You're just taking it all in. That is exactly what was happening. It was like, yes, it was like a um, reality version of a murder. I was like... (laughs) Every show I've ever seen, every social media post Red I've ever strings. seen was all <laughs> converging. Yep. Um, so it was just really fun. She said some other things uh, about design school and she's designing a handbag line. Maybe don't quote me. See, this Hot is where I get gas. nervous that I'm going to that I'm going to like put out the wrong scoop. But um, one thing that was interesting, too, that she said was I just sometimes feel guilty for the success I've had, that it's unwarranted or undeserved. And then her friend was doing the sweet friend thing. Like, absolutely not. Don't think like that. 
And so it was just such an interesting little window. Then I let my daughter into the fact on who it was. And she was like, do not turn around. Do not pick up your phone. Do not go over there. Too so she, she sharply brought me back to reality. But, um, but that was fun. That is so cool. You text me in the middle of this and I was, or I don't know if it was the middle of it. I don't know where you were on the timeline, but I was losing my mind. I couldn't wait to text you. Yeah. Whenever <laughs> I start hearing, I wouldn't have even put the Ava thing together. So then that was blowing my mind. I mean... There could be another Ava with a mom on TikTok. Let's be real. True. But how many moms are, I mean, I'm actually not on TikTok. I see TikTok videos on Twitter when people repost them. That's that's my connection to TikTok. I'm technically on TikTok. Like I have a profile there and you can check out my one true crime parody on there. It's pretty cute. Um, But that's all I've ever done. It's just like one thing. And then I'm like, I'm out. It's just like, it's too much for me. I can't keep up. Um, But yeah. So that was our- I love it. Yeah, that was our fun criminality moment that, well, there's no crime, just reality. And uh, yeah, I was excited to share it with you. Thank you for sharing it. I'm still buzzing over it. So that's that's better than a Hadid. You got a sheen. We did. We got a sheen. And when I told the story to my husband, I was saying it was Denise Richards' daughter. And he was kind of looked at me blank. I'm like, actually, it's Charlie Sheen's daughter. And he's <laughs> like, oh, OK. Like that like meant something. It was right. funny. I guess we can't talk about that for the whole time. (laughs) I mean, I was here for it, but sure. Let's move on, I guess. Well, before I go into today's story, do you have any um, things you want to share with me? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) No pressure. Uh, no, my story, I mean, I can tell you a funny story. Do you want to just hear a funny story? Absolutely. Okay. Always. We can maybe edit this if this is all too long, but, um, this was just funny. My son, he says everything, just anything that comes to his mind, he says, so he's just unfiltered. It. It's great. Um, never embarrassing. So he was, uh, <laughs> this was just a very simple one, but it's made me laugh all week. And he said, uh, he was asking me for juice. He goes, mom juice. And I was like, how do you ask? He goes, mom, may I have some juice? And I said, how do you ask? You know, what else do you say? <laughs> it starts with a P. And he said, mom, may I have juice penis? <laughs> <laughs> it does start with a P. It, I mean, thank you for that. But I was, it was in front of my sister and my brother-in-law and they were just oh, dying. My gosh. It's made my whole um, like two weeks. It's, but that's like always yeah. with him. It's always just I could never be a Hadid or a Sheen. It would just be constantly in the news for uh, Star's Child Screams Penis for no reason over and over again every week, every day. No, that sounds like prime material for a reality show, if you ask me. Um, that's really cute, actually. Yeah. <laughs> he's, story. He's, but like dead serious. He's like, penis. Yeah, right. All right. Yeah. That's the first one that came to my mind. So I don't know what you're asking for. I know. Um, that juice was not on the... Not on the menu at Malibu table. No. Juice. <laughs> Pineapple, watermelon. Yeah. Well, that's a good uh, one. Yeah, it is. It is. I think we should get Let's into do today's that. episode after, before after we completely derail ourselves. You brought it up and I brought it down. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, I guess buckle up. And uh, you referenced wings earlier and um, that's going to come in handy. The show or the food? No, neither. Metaphorically speaking. Oh. <laughs> or, or not even metaphorically speaking, just in another way that wings can be... Uh, we can cut this. No, I like this. <laughs> in October of 2018, Lion Air Flight 610 crashed into the Java Sea over Indonesia. I don't know if you remember this. The plane was a new Boeing 737 MAX series aircraft. This is where the wings come in. Tragically, though, all 189 passengers on board died in this crash. 
and it happened in the first 13 minutes. It's so sad if you read the articles about it because all the audio of the crew mm-hmm. that they get afterwards when they do the investigation was they knew something was wrong just immediately upon taking mm-hmm. off and all the directions they got from the ground were were wrong and it was just a series of missteps that tragically ended in this horrible plane crash where everybody died. Wow. But a powerful attorney from Los Angeles who had decades of experience winning lawsuits for clients stepped up to help these families and loved ones of the flight's victims. Included in this group of people were widows and many children who were now orphaned because both parents perished in this accident. And thank goodness these victims had a benevolent, morally centered, law-abiding lawyer named Tom Girardi. That's right. Oh my gosh. Tom Girardi was handling their settlement from Boeing, so we can be confident that they were paid in full and in a timely fashion. Um, Sorry, spoiler alert, that is not what (laughs) happened. I I really, really wish it were. No, it's terribly tragic, the next tragedy that happens to these people. Because when it comes to Tom Girardi and Ms. Erica Jane, there is another airplane that they seem more concerned about, too, actually. The couple is notorious for their lavish lifestyle, which includes not one Melissa, but two PJs. (laughs) (laughs) Who is it that says PJ all the time? Oh, Lala. Yep, there you go. Yeah, I know. I should have said private jet. No, no, no. I loved it. it, You know, I'm going with it. So it's it's on season six, episode eight of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills that we even hear Erica say, having a private plane is not just a luxury. It's a great responsibility. I don't even have a response to that, honestly. Well, there is none. And speaking of responsibility, Tom has allegedly completely shirked all of his, and it's appalling. Mm. So as you all know, probably, if you're listening to this podcast and you're here right now, you know Tom Girardi is in major legal trouble. And as a result, Erica herself is in a pretty big mess. (laughs) Very good. That was good. That was good. Okay, because it's going to get Way to bring an Instagram handle into it. Good job. I try. So Tom was slapped with several lawsuits in December of 2020, but I'm going to focus on one because I will lose my mind (laughs) if I focused on all of them and I would lose everybody else too. And even with this one, it's hard to stay with. And I would like to just put this out there now that I did my best with this research. This is an open and active civil case. Changing all the time, new information all the time. I did my very best and used the best sources I could. So I hope I'm getting all this information right. But I am not a lawyer, just a podcaster. Hashtag not a lawyer. Yes, exactly. Put that on a t-shirt. Maybe he should. (laughs) He will. (laughs) So the lawsuit we're going to focus on is the one that was filed by a law firm called Edelson. So Edelson came alongside Tom Girardi's law firm, which is called Girardi Keese. Sometimes I'll call it GK just for short. So Girardi Keese is Tom's law firm. Edelson was co-counsel in the case against Boeing. So after this plane crash, Tom ended up being the lawyer to represent all of the victims, their families, their surviving family members to make a settlement or to win at trial with Boeing. Boeing lost the trial and had to disperse a lot of money to the victims, Mm -hmm. an undisclosed amount, but said to be very substantial. So Edelson is suing Tom and several other co-defendants because Edelson themselves never received their fees for helping in the case. But more importantly, they learned that the victims have not been paid out despite Boeing 
wiring the settlement in early 2020. Again, this is an undisclosed but very substantial sum of money. According to Reuters, Edelson said it became aware in the summer and fall of 2020 through a series of conversations with Tom Girardi and other lawyers at his firm that GK, the firm, had not made full payments to clients whose cases Boeing had agreed to settle, even though Boeing had allegedly already transferred settlement funds to Girardi. Now, there are other lawsuits against Tom, and they are from banks, lenders, clients, vendors, former partners, and various individuals. <laughs> I wish I was one of right. those individuals at this point. I just, right? Just just throw us in the mix. Yeah, there Why you not? There are so many. Get in line. Yeah. Pick a number. So we're hearing about this, you know, at the end of 2020, but the trouble started long before, like they often do. When we mm -hmm. start seeing something going wrong legally, there's usually a story that started not just recently, right? So let's go back, but not too far. Tom's 81. We try, try to keep these <laughs> around an hour. Uh, so Tom grew up in Los Angeles. He attended Loyola High School, and for college, he earned his BA from Loyola Marymount University. He got his JD at Marymount's Law School. After that, in 1961, so we're just in 1961, he's mm -hmm. already done with college. In 1961, he got his LLM from NYU Law School. So an LLM is an advanced law degree, which I'd never heard of. It's sort of a, a master's of law, and not all lawyers get them. It's huh. pretty prestigious, especially from a school like NYU Law. And it was not long before his career that he became super successful and started setting records. He went back to L.A. to practice, and in 1970, he was the first attorney in the state of California to win a medical malpractice award for over a million dollars. It's a lot of money today. It was a ton of money yeah. in 1970. But he's probably best known for his work representing the victims of Pacific and Electric, which is an energy and utility company that ultimately paid out $460 million to 650 residents who experienced cancer and other diseases from contaminated water that leaked from a gas pump in their neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Does that sound familiar to you? It doesn't. No, I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. It is the real life case that inspired the movie. Aaron Aaron Brockovich. Brockovich. Okay. Yes, I do know that. Okay. Yeah. So of course that starred Julia Roberts. She won an Oscar for it. And Tom even consulted on the film. Huh. So in 2003, he was inducted into the Trial Lawyer Hall of Fame by the California State Bar, and he was a schmoozer, right? Obviously, he's a successful lawyer, but he hobnobbed in Hollywood. He knew judges, he knew Hollywood executives, businessmen, and he had political connections. He donated a lot of money to campaigns, and that also positioned him to have some power, which will come up later. He was also said, though, to be very kind and charismatic. Nobody described him as a typical lawyer who's kind of a hothead. Right. He wasn't like that. People thought he was a really nice guy. Now, the type of law Tom specializes in, I guess we can say past tense now, his law license has been revoked. Yeah. It's consumer law. So these are class action lawsuits, and they're called contingency cases. So you know those commercials that are like, have you been injured in an right. automobile accident? Like, call me. It's, it's exactly what that is. And in these cases, the attorney foots the whole bill for the investigation, the filing costs, the depositions, right. hiring experts, the whole thing. The, the plaintiff spends nothing. The lawyer brings it to trial and they win. The lawyer will get reimbursed for the money that they've spent. Right. And then they'll take a fee on top of that. And then the rest of the settlement goes to the plaintiff. Okay. So it's a really great design. I mean, a lot of lawyers do this because there's a lot of money to be made in it. Right. But it's a it's by design worked to help the average person who cannot hire a lawyer in these situations get some kind yeah. of compensation when something wrong has happened to them. 
So standard fees, once you win, run from 22 to 33 and a third percent. 33 and a third is the norm in most major cities. Tom Girardi's fee was 40%. Whoa. Very much on the high end and a little, it was pretty unique from what I read. Now, this is a high-risk type of law to practice. It requires confidence. It is not for everybody. Yeah. Right? You have to have a good sense of what's going to actually win. Right. And most lawyers want to bill hourly because then they know they're getting paid sure. for their work. So that's just not how this kind of law is practiced. And it really suited Tom. He was good at it, and he had many more wins than he did losses. Right. So while Tom was working his way into becoming one of California's most prominent class action attorneys, Erica was working her way up too. Erica Jane or Erica Girardi, depending on who she is at the moment that you were watching her right. talking to her, was born in 1971 in Atlanta, Georgia. Her given name is Erica Chahoy? 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 I like Chahoy. Oh, I have to too. Ships Chahoy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she has a memoir that would have given me a lot more insight as to her background, but I, I chose not to read it. I did like this quote from Les, the host of the podcast, The Reality Reading Rainbow. He said, it is a book about nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but from what I gather, it is about her upbringing, which was apparently hard. Single mom, no father in the picture, not a lot of money. But Erica always wanted to be a performer. That was her dream yeah. from the time she was a little girl. So after graduating from high school, she moves to New York to get her big break. The big break never happened, but she did. This is really cool. It's not a reality show fun fact, but it is a fun fact about TV. She did get a part on Law & Order. It was the first episode of Law & Order ever. Whoa. 1990. Yes. And so that means that she gets to have the accolade of the first person to ever die on Law & Order because she died wow. on it. And there's been millions since then thousands at least but only one first yeah. <laughs> now her character didn't have a name so literally she is known as the first victim to die on law and order um but the title of the episode if you were dying to go google it which i know some of you will be is prescription for death wow so a couple years later she <laughs> yeah sounds about yeah. right she got pregnant at age 20 and she married the dad who was her boyfriend thomas zizzo they had this baby, and it's still Erica's only child, and they named him Thomas and called him Tommy. So that would make three significant Toms in her life. That, yeah. What does that remind me of? Oh, on Parks and Rec, whenever Ron, are you a Parks and Rec fan? Oh, Ron Swanson, he marries somebody named Tammy. So then he has an ex-wife named Tammy, Tammy 1, Tammy 2. And then you find out that his mom's name is Tammy, and it all kind of comes together, all these oh, issues. Oh, my gosh. It. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's a psychological thing. Yeah, <laughs> there's there's some Freud going on there. There's more to that story, yeah. Our show has been around for more than three years now, which is really something to celebrate. But when I think back over all of our episodes, one that really sticks in my mind, of course, is the one about the bling ring. There were literally teenagers breaking into the homes of celebrities and stealing thousands, if not millions of dollars worth of items. There is just something so scary about someone being in your home without your knowledge, even beyond just having your things taken. And that's why when it comes to home security, I only trust my home to Simply Safe. Simply Safe isn't just some old fly-by-night security system. It was actually named the best home security systems 2024 by the US News and World Report. 
On top of that, Newsweek named it best customer service and home security, which is really huge because if my house or the people that are in it are in jeopardy, I want to know that I'm speaking with people who are there to help me. We've had Simply Safe in my house for several years now, and Rebecca got her system last year, and there's a lot of comfort in knowing that I have indoor and outdoor cameras all around the house. And if you aren't sure whether it's something you'd actually use, you should definitely give it a try. There are no contracts and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind. We want you to have it too. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com/criminality. That's simplysafe.com/criminality. There's no safe like Simply Safe. So it's during these years that she was a go-go dancer at Shakers in New Jersey, which we, of course, saw in Real Housewives of Beverly Hills season 10. I think it was the premiere episode. She takes the women to see her old place of employment. Mm -hmm. And another fun fact, Danielle Staub used to be a dancer there as well. What she decides to do next is a little bit unconventional. Erica looks around New York. It's just not happening for her there. And she really thinks Hollywood, L.A. is where she needs to go to, to push through to the next level. So she moves there, but she leaves her son with her ex. Now they divorce, so they're not together anymore, but they're co-parenting. She moves alone to LA, leaves little Tommy with her now ex-husband Tom to go to California. And Erica's son spent summers, spring break, alternate holidays with her in California, but the school year is really, he was just in New York. But Erica is quoted, and I believe this came out of her book, and she never missed the important moments. She would fly back to New York every seven to 10 days. Oh, wow. And even though his school is back east, she was at every teacher conference, school play, graduation, and any other significant event. So I think it was just this family decision, and everybody supported it and was on board. So she's in LA, and she gets a job as a cocktail waitress. And this is a bit of a step up from the go-go dancing. It's at an established legendary restaurant called Chasen's. That was one of my clues. Yes. And you know what? I did not get the clue until you posted on social media. What was it? It was Chicago Chasen's. Chasen's. And what was the third clue? Airplanes. Air. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Whenever you said, look at the Chicago picture, and I realized she's in. she was in Chicago. Great clues. Those were awesome. I did well, not get it. I, I had to go a little like next level because sure. if I'd said, you know, lawsuits, Beverly Hills lawyer, you know, yeah, you might yeah. have gotten it. Possibly. <laughs> um, or a lot of other people come to mind too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and it, it's no bad on you that you didn't know Chasen's because it is closed, it's defunct, but it was a big deal, kind of like one of those um, hot spots back in the day. The ivy of its day. The ivy of its day, exactly. And guess who was part owner of the establishment? Charlie Sheen. That would have been Close. full circle. <laughs> <laughs> Little Lola. Yeah, that would have been amazing. But no, it was Tom Girardi. Oh. Well. So the two, you know. Should have, should have guessed that. That would have made the first, the most sense for the first guess. <laughs> I'm not the world's best logical guesser. So these two strike up a somewhat unlikely friendship. They have a 33-year age difference. And after a year of getting to know one another, Erica stopped dating this guy that she was seeing. She was now single. So she slipped him her phone number the last time he was at the restaurant, which was a lot because he was part owner. So he had his own table. He did lots of meetings, lots of power lunches. And um, apparently they had like a very friendly, flirty repartee back and forth Mm -hmm. and really liked each other. The very next day, Tom's secretary calls Erica to ask her out on Tom's behalf. And Erica Uh is like... 
you can have Mr. Girardi call me when he's ready to ask me out on a date, which I really respect. Right. And he he did. And so they went on a date and not long after they were married and they actually got married in a very quiet, casual, small ceremony at Chasen's. Huh. So that's kind of cute. Yeah. It was in January of 1999. So Erica has never shied away from their age difference, right? I mean, yeah. she comes on the show and she just puts it out there because it's not a like you can hide it. I mean, he looks his age. It's not like he's a, a young 71. He's no Harry Hamlin. Eight. He is no Harry Hamlin. And it's so funny that they both use the last names of their husbands, right? Like Harry is Harry Hamlin oh, and yeah. he's Mr. Girardi. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so she comes on and, and puts that out there in her story, but talks about their real connection, their genuine, genuine affection for one another. But there are two interesting kind of surprising things about their marriage. No prenup. Oh so Tom gosh. is a lawyer and... Erica was a waitress, 33 years his senior, but they uh, did not draw up a prenuptial agreement. Uh, quote from Erica says, it never came up. Let's be serious. Mr. Girardi knows the law so well that a prenup is not going to do SHIT. As any lawyer will tell you, there is always a way around a prenup, even if you think it's ironclad. So I think you can look at that two ways. They really genuinely loved each other, and right. she foresaw being with him long enough that maybe he'd die. <laughs> yeah, that she and he's older, so she would naturally become the recipient of most of the wealth. I would think when you're married that long, even right. without a prenup, right? Because it's like communal property. Or they had some kind of other arrangement that is total speculation, but there was buzz about that. The other surprising thing about their marriage is that they don't wear wedding rings. Hmm. And that's because Tom refuses to wear one. <laughs> that's simple. Reminds me of another Tom, actually. Please don't let it be about Tom. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was like, couldn't get used to it. Remember, he like kept commenting. Yeah. Around. He was like so very heavy. uncomfortable with it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Really weighing me down. But that is what also Tom said. Quote, after our engagement, Tom said, listen, I'll buy you anything you want. I don't care what it is. You name it. I'll buy it. But I'm not wearing a wedding band. I never have. I never will. I don't like it. It's uncomfortable. Please don't ask me to. And he wears uh, neckties. That's literally choking your neck constantly. Always in a suit and tie. Yeah. Yeah. And this is his third marriage. So he would know if he liked them or not. (laughs) So he's had a few rounds to figure it out. Yeah. So they had their own rules for sure. And it was working. After they got married, Erica really put aside her own pursuits. She put performing aside and she created this home with Tom and she really leaned into the role of Mrs. Girardi, the lawyer's wife. She went to the business dinners and the lunches and the events. Uh, But then something happened. What do you, what do you think would happen after years of doing that? Um, You would get bored. You wouldn't like it. That's exactly what happened. She got bored. She missed performing And it was different now because she didn't need to go hustle. She didn't have to go get a gig that paid money to pay her rent. She had all the money at her disposal. And so she thought this could be the time she really breaks out as a star. Tom fully supported the endeavor. And to show just how much he supported her, he incorporated Erica's music career as an LLC. And trust me, that will be important. The name of her LLC is EJ Global. Uh, EJ Global... That took me a second. I was like, E stands for and the J. Okay, Erica Jane. Got it. Erica Jane Global. I mean, pretty generic, but most LLC names are, right? They're not like public facing names. They're just entities. You and I know we're successful podcasters. (laughs) Yes, yes, LLC. (laughs) And spoiler alert, EJ Global 
will come to be one of the several co-defendants on this lawsuit. So fun to know that that is actually Erica. I don't think Erica knew just how expensive it was going to get for her to be. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Uh, But Erica actually achieved some success. She had several hit songs on the dance charts, including the debut single Roller Coaster, which released on January 1st, 2007. Her first album, Pretty Mess, was, yeah, years ago. Yeah, I was thinking. Way before Housewives. Her first full album, Pretty Mess, was released in the United States on August 11th, 2009. According to allmusic.com, the review says, Its title is about correct as it could be. Jane's looks are rather pretty, judging by the cover art and publicity photos, and the music is a messy mix of (laughs) Tepid house, faux scandalous come-ons, and alternately overly produced or demo quality vocal tracks. Somebody got a word a day calendar. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, someone had a lot of fun writing that. Someone was proud of themselves. But then Erica kind of hit a wall. She felt like she took her music career as far as it could go, and she started seeking the advice of music executives and agents about what to do next. And most people told her it was time to pivot. Yeah. You're not getting any younger. She was around 35 at this time. Okay. Actually. Okay. We're both past that point. This, oh, is, this is hard to hear. 35 is in, you know, for me, the, the rear view mirror. But one afternoon, she was hanging out with her husband, Tom, and their friends, David Foster and Yolanda Hadid. She was sharing some of this, what I just told you, with them. And Yolanda, I thought maybe David Foster stepped in and was like, I've got an idea for your music brand. No, he would not touch. I don't think he, just speculating, but I don't think that's his brand. No. But Yolanda's wheels started turning, and she suggested considering becoming a housewife. And Erica was interested. Yolanda makes a call, and two days later, Erica was cast on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Stop. So Yolanda's got like some weight. She's got a lot of lemons in the air, I think. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And you know that all makes sense because we meet Erica and she she does come on and she's introduced as knowing Yolanda. And then that first season, it was when Yolanda had Lyme's disease, right? And everybody was being so awful about that to her. But Erica was the one in real life who was her friend and kind of supporting her through all those treatments, and so. I was re-watching that season, and I have to say, I see an affection for Yolanda and a warmth from Erica to her that I don't see present yeah. in the other friendships with the other women. Now, is it because her husband is David Foster, and she, you know, I don't know, was it part of some... Right. Is it more sinister, or did she just really like her, and were they actually really friends? Yeah. To me, it really looks genuine, mm-hmm. but I, I didn't notice it in re-watching it. Wow, I've never seen her interact or be so sweet and kind of sincere to the other women. Well, and it's hard to know sometimes like a first season housewife. uh, They come off a little bit differently. But if Yolanda brought her in, it makes a lot of sense that she would have been friendly towards her. And for the record, one of my favorite, this sounds terrible, and they treated her terribly. But one of my favorite ending scenes to a season is whenever we see Yolanda in that freezing chamber thing (laughs) right before it says she and David got divorced but it like zooms out and you're just like Yolanda are you okay this is 
this is not good, girl. Also, they did her dirty by that being like it was the terrible final image. That is so not cool, especially if she's this, you know, the one who can put a call in and make things happen. Yeah, How are they going to do that to her. I feel like Catherine McPhee got on the horn and she got involved. <laughs> Rebecca oh. gave the most. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't I, even know the words for it. That eye roll. I'm afraid your eyes are going to get stuck in the back of your head. Well, here's a little more L.A.T. Ooh. I have it on good authority that she's really not a good person. Catherine McPhee? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I totally believe you. I, I Radar Online tells me that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, I wanted to talk about, so we meet Erica on that season, and a few episodes into her first season, she has the big dinner at their mansion in Pasadena for everyone to meet Tom. Oh, right? yeah, Because yeah, yeah. there's so much buildup about their relationship, and everybody's curious, like, how could this Erica Jane persona, the sexual, you know, performer, right. have this like older conservative lawyer husband. They wanted to see how it all worked. And I found that whole dinner scene to be so cringy. I get this nervous feeling when Ken is on camera and I get the same feeling when Tom is on camera. And respectfully, I'm not trying to be ageist, but they are older mm -hmm. and the younger, the wives are so high energy, so unfiltered. I get nervous. They're going to say something or physically do something yeah. to harm them i.e. Ken in the falling. pool. Yeah, that was a big yeah. one. So there's this weird stress for me that happens when I watch like an older husband meet the wives because they're also kind of being a little patronizing when they meet oh, them. Yeah. They're like, hi, like, how are you? Can like, you dude, hear like, me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there was a little bit of that in the beginning, but then obviously the women get in, you know, get comfortable, right. they have some champagne and then they start going at it. And that's when Tom gets interrupted and he did <gasps> oh, not like yeah. that. Yeah. So while I don't think he's a crazy hothead, he definitely, when he's speaking, expects to be heard. Sure. And I think he's used to courtroom type attention. Uh -huh. So that was a weird scene to revisit. But what Erica and Tom project on the show is that their Beverly Hills lifestyle, by way of Pasadena, was <laughs> all, you know, glitz and glamour and that they could keep up with the best of them. Right. But it was really all a house of cards that was crashing down. So according to the LA Times, Tom Girardi and his firm were sued more than 100 times between the 1980s and 2020, with at least half of those cases asserting misconduct in his law practice. So it turns out Tom is kind of shady when it mm. comes to doing his business. This is what I learned. For lawyers to practice the kind of law that Tom does, it's very common to get loans, right? Remember yeah. how they have to front all the money to do the work, the investigation before trial? If you're an established law firm, especially one like Tom Girardi's, which is Girardi Keese, you can get these loans and they are in the millions of dollars and those float you until you get paid. Right. That's totally standard practice. The loans are also really high interest, so you don't want to have a lot of them and you want to pay them off very quickly. Mm. What's not okay, what is a total breach of all legal 101 ethics is co-mingling funds. That word is everywhere around Tom Girardi right now. I listened to a lot of lawyers weigh in on podcasts and co-mingling funds is the biggest no-no. So when the defendant pays out to the plaintiff, they wire the money to the law firm. Their fees and expenses are taken out and the rest goes directly to the victims. Right. A lawyer should never dip into the amount designated for the recipient of the settlement. This is where a really good bookkeeper would come into play because yeah. that's a different job than a lawyer, right? Is managing the money and right. it's also like a proprietary, you know, you should have a healthy distance from that probably. Yeah, yeah. Well, in Tom's law firm, he manages all of the expense accounts. Wait for it. With pen, with pen and paper. 
Oh, oh, well, we found the problem right here. This might be just simple math. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he lost that paper or ran out of ink. Something happened. Yes. So I'm sure there are some kind of computer records somewhere, but that is how he manages oh their books. And he's very uh, private about it and mm-hmm. likes to keep a tight rein on it. So apparently this is what Tom is being accused of doing taking the money from the victim's pot, basically, and paying off other people. And he does it again and again and again and again. And it isn't just victims he owes money to. It's investigators, experts, co-counsel, clients, even family and friends. Essentially, Tom was just taking clients' money to handle his own debts, and he figured it would sort itself out once the next money from a settlement came in. And this is why in the lawsuit it's being called a Ponzi scheme, which always bottoms out, right? Right. So... I'm going to read a couple paragraphs from the lawsuit because I can't think of another way to convey this without getting it wrong or just plagiarizing it anyway. So this is straight from the Edelson lawsuit. But what's fun is this is not boring legalese. Edelson has a flair for the drama or a copywriter or something. Love it. Check out this lawsuit. This is a Madoff-inspired attempt to protect his own wealth and appease his aggressive and well-heeled lenders on information and belief Girardi has in fact used client settlement funds, including money owed to the families of victims of Lion Air Flight 610, to pay down his loans, leaving the clients with little, if anything. Tom Girardi and his law firm Girardi Keys are on the verge of financial collapse and locked in a downward spiral of mounting debts and dwindling funds. They presently owe tens of millions of dollars to clients, lenders, co-counsel, settlement administrators, experts, to name only a few, have tried in vain to forestall the payment of these debts with hollow promises, excuses, misdirection, and outright fraud. There's more. At the heart of this deception is defendant Girardi and his need to fund outrageous lifestyle for himself and the soon-to-be ex-wife Erica Jane, a.k.a. Erica, a.k.a. Jane. (laughs) (laughs) Tom and Erica have reached celebrity status in the glitz and glam world of Hollywood and Beverly Hills. Tom is a well-known and powerful personal injury attorney. Erica is a performer better known for her years-long presence on The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, a show centered on the larger-than-life extravagances of its cast members. To keep up this celebrity status, Tom and Erica must project a public image of obscene wealth at all times and at whatever cost. And as a result, and most egregiously, Tom has resorted to embezzling the proceeds of settlements that should have been directed to his clients, including, as the basis for this complaint, the widows and orphans who lost loved ones in the tragic crash of Lion Air Flight 610 in order to continue funding his and Erica's lavish Beverly Hills lifestyles. Tom's downward spiral appears to have bottomed out. On information and belief, Tom's mounting loans and debts have piled up to such an extent that GK can no longer meet its financial obligations, and it is likely that GK will soon not be a going concern. But Tom's litigation financiers and other creditors, including Erica, are not the ones who stand to lose the most from this fall. Instead, it is the Lion Air clients and potentially other clients who stand to lose everything. That's because on information and belief, Tom has embezzled and redirected funds that were due to the Lion Air clients and of lesser importance, plaintiff Edelson, to family members, friends, GK lenders, and other creditors. They really drove that point home. I know there was some redundancy, but I left it in there because... He has a pattern and he was doing this over and over again. And Edelson wants to make it clear in the lawsuit, like we are owed money and we don't care. We're not taking a dollar till these people who were affected by this air flight get theirs. Then we'll worry about our money. They really seem to be advocating for the victims, but also they really want to take Tom down. Yeah. So as I mentioned, 
what has happened, and obviously this pattern has been going on for years and years, you can't amass that much in debt. Right. Well, you probably could quickly, but this took a little bit of time. So I started to wonder if this has been going on for years, why did it just come to light? Why would 2020 be the year this came crashing down? But of course, Melissa, we all know what happened in 2020, right? Some people got their driver's licenses. (laughs) (laughs) Some people got their driver's license. COVID happened. Okay, that one. (laughs) That's kind of what I was thinking. That's what you're going for. But um, I'm like, but how would COVID affect this? If anything, I would think it would get pushed aside. Like a lot of things fell through the cracks. Upon further investigating and listening to a lawyer talk on a podcast called Goodbye, (laughs) (laughs) called Goodbye Glam Squad. There's already a podcast about this. I love it. Just dedicated just to this. Yeah, Goodbye Glam Squad. They had a lawyer on and she shared that COVID did shut down the courts. So what that meant for Tom was the settlement stopped. The trials of all these cases stopped. So the funds stopped going in. So there are obviously some cases go through, right? But they're going to prioritize them in terms of urgency and significance Mm. and probably more criminal stuff is prioritized first. So basically the tap went dry. And so suddenly Tom just couldn't stop the gap. And there was no money coming in. So I found that really, really interesting. And that COVID exposed his scam, basically. I bet not just his. You know there's got to be more people who are doing the same thing. Well, look, I mean, Jen Shaw's allegations happened very recently. I wonder if it's similar. I I think a lot of – I think we're going to just hear more and more stories about how COVID exposed certain things, right? Yeah. So – There's another theory as to why it could have gone on this long. And one of those theories is Tom's friendship with people in power on the California Bar Association. He was very friendly with them. He donated a lot of money. And like I said, he was politically connected and a lot of judge positions and mayoral, right? Those are all elected officials. Mm -hmm. So he gets in there so that he can kind of know who's in power and he talks to them. According to the LA Times, he forged a particularly tight relationship with a bar investigator named by bar, it's the state bar. Got it. <laughs> not not Chasen's or Shakers, <laughs> named Tom Layton. Over the decade and a half, Layton worked at the bar. Girardi routinely treated him to pricey meals at the Jonathan Club, Morton's, and the Palm. According to Layton's sworn testimony, the investigator wrote on Girardi's private jet, two of his children got jobs at Tom's law firm. And when this guy Tom and his wife were sued by a contractor while building their dream house, Girardi gave them years of free legal work. Hmm. And that's all recorded. So there was open talk at the agency about whether this legal giant, Tom's connections, helped protect him from discipline. There Mm. were lots of opportunities. The bar could have looked at this and did examine it and pushed it aside. And that's according to interviews with more than 15 current and former bar officials, says the LA Times. So what has happened since the lawsuit was filed? And what about Erica? We're wondering about the divorce, right? That actually happened in November. So the lawsuit officially came out in November. Did they know it was coming? We don't know. But one month prior to the lawsuit, actually on election day, I don't know if you realize that, but the day she filed for divorce was election day. Yeah. Which it was kind of like to slip it in under everything going on. I think like maybe nobody will pay too much attention to this because obviously our focus was elsewhere. So obviously there's speculation on were they really going to move forward with a divorce or is this a scam, a layer of the scam on top of a sham, right? So this is another excerpt from that complaint that addresses exactly this. Now it's all alleged, but it is their belief. So Edelson in this lawsuit alleges 
they're putting forth their belief that the divorce is simply, and I'm quoting, the divorce is simply a sham attempt to fraudulently protect Tom and Erica's money from those that seek to collect on debts owed by Tom and his law firm. This would not be the first attempt by Tom to hide and divert assets. Indeed, in a likely violation of the California Uniform Fraudulent Transfer Act, defendant EJ Global has allegedly received tens of millions in loans directly from defendant GK, of which Tom is the sole equity shareholder. So Tom's the equity shareholder of the law firm. Right. So loans are, is in quotes. I think that's him setting up her business, funding right, the business, right. all of that. Erica has requested that Tom provides spousal support during all of this in their divorce and that he pays her legal fees. Girardi, Tom, has since asked the court to terminate Erica's right to spousal support, requested that the reality star pay her own attorney fees. This is all according to court documents. So what does Tom have to say to the judge? The judge wants to know why are you saying you can't pay spousal support right. and her lawyer fees. And at a virtual hearing, he says, quote, at one point, I had about $80 million, probably $50 million in cash. It's all gone. I don't have any money, he told the judge, per the Los Angeles Times, noting, I haven't taken a penny in salary out of the firm in over two years. So Whoa. this is when the judge <laughs> on December 12th freezes the assets due to the mishandling of funds for the survivors of the Indonesian plane crash. He also wants to get a handle on what the heck is going on between them yeah. and make sure that nobody can, like, offload anything, hide anything. So it's frozen. Right. The freezing of these assets extends to Erica, who was ordered by a judge to stop selling her clothes on an upscale resale site called Versatire Collective. I mean, she was selling clothes. Now, I know a lot of celebrities do that, but a lot of times it's for charity. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think she was just trying to get some liquid money. Yeah. But the judge said you can't do that. Noting that Tom could have purchased those clothes, and that makes them an extension of his assets, which are frozen. So, so <laughs> okay. Well, she's okay. saying they're gifts. I mean, I think a lawyer could argue, like, these are gifts. Even if he did buy them, it's fine for her to sell them. But oh, I thought you meant that she was selling them, and he was going back behind her to buy them from her. No. And I could not figure out how the money, I'm like, that's. That's double stealing from yours. I don't even know how that That would works. also be a really like bizarre priority level of things yeah. to take care of first. <laughs> He's got a new app on his phone. He's trying to buy, He's you like, know. I want all Gio her Versace. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he is actually being held, Tom, in civil contempt for his lack of explanation as to where the money went. The judge is not satisfied with his answer. And that's what the civil case will be all about is finding Whoa. out precisely where all this money went. And civil contempt refers to behavior which disobeys the authority of court in a civil proceeding. It's not a criminal act. Right. He's not going to get arrested. But this is where I should mention embezzlement, fraud. Those are all words in the lawsuit. So right now, this is a, a civil matter. But it, the lawyers I consulted with and by consulted with, listened to on podcasts, say they will not be surprised if a criminal charge comes soon after. Yeah. This is all like reeking of prison time. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. So they're almost lucky to be working it out civilly. And if they can and quickly, maybe that will mitigate future, you know, their vulnerability to criminal charges. If, if people right. get their money, the people who deserve it, I don't know, but I don't think anybody will be surprised if they don't make him pay for the crimes. How long ago did he have $50 million? Did, was that? He didn't did say, it but I mean, 
the last the the reference of time in that quote is two years ago. I haven't taken money in two years, so could it be a couple of years or is it more like a decade? I don't know. That yeah. is a lot of money to burn through. But if you think about it, all these settlements are in the multi millions. Right. I, I think there was a lot of shuffling around of big seven figure numbers, so it, it's possible. Yeah, but I don't know. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So since the filing of this lawsuit, he has been subjected to an involuntary bankruptcy. Want to know what that is? I do. I mean, you can you can intuit what it is. Listen, we've already established that I'm not a great guesser. (laughs) Well, uh, it's an involuntary bankruptcy, but who enforces it is the creditors. The people that you owe money to can actually, if there's more than 12 of them, get together and say, you're going to have to file Chapter 7 bankruptcy. Whoa. And that is what's happening. So Erica has moved out of the Pasadena mansion. That is going to hit the market soon. And I don't think they're going to see any money of it. Because if you're bankrupt, you don't get to make oh, the money yeah. off the sale of your home. And I think it's going to be listed for around $16 million. She moved into a modest three-bedroom rental in Hancock Park, which is a beautiful neighborhood. And it's, it is modest. It's only three bedrooms. It has a pool and a hot tub. It rents for $9,500 a month. So I wouldn't say she's slumming it. But much more humbly, Tom, during this time, is not faring so well. He is not even in their Pasadena home anymore. He has been put into a conservatorship. He is now under the care of his brother, Robert. What? I did not expect this Britney Spears angle. I know. Do you not love that we all know the word conservatorship as of like six months ago because of Britney? (laughs) Absolutely. That's the only reason. I know I don't even have to. That's another one I couldn't guess. Right. I don't even have to define it because everyone's like, oh, yeah, man, free Britney. (laughs) (laughs) So that's really sad. But again, well, let me let me tell you what Robert says. So his brother, Robert, told People magazine that Tom's state of mind has deteriorated to the point where he cannot care for himself without assistance, which if true, is really sad. But of course, some people are like, is this a scam? Is he mentally competent? Is he trying to say he can't stand trial? Is he trying to absolve himself of responsibility? Is he going to blame these bad decisions on he didn't have his right mind? Right. I read more about his conservatorship, and it sounds like he has family members like his brother Robert and certain friends looking out for him to make sure he has what he needs in terms of, quote, sufficient food. But- that left to his own devices, it's highly doubtful Tom could manage most of the activities of daily living without significant assistance. He also let his housekeeper go. She was with him for 25 years because he cannot pay her. So what he told the judge additionally is that there's maybe a couple thousand dollars in his bank and in his law firm's bank, $15,000. Also, everybody's jumped shipped. There's practically nobody left. And that includes son-in-laws. I mean, he had family members working for him, and they have all left. Isn't it worrisome if this what if this is all true? How long was he practicing when he really should not have been practicing at all? Absolutely. And also, which is worse, right? If he was if he was fine and he's lying about that mental state retroactively, or that he was practicing. When he shouldn't have been. I mean, that is a really. Well, I think the lying is the worst. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> It reminds me of, um, yeah, I'm going to agree with you on that. I'm I'm glad I worked that out. 
So a lot remains to be seen, and it's hard to get an accurate number of what exactly is owed to whom. And like you said, how many millions did he spend over what period of time? Right. I think it will come out in more clear terms. But right now, there's so many moving parts, so yeah. many people owed money. It's hard to say. I did find a good summary. This is a trustee who was working on the bankruptcy case. Uh, her last name is Miller, and she says that Tom's firm owes at least $26 million in settlement funds to anywhere from a dozen to hundreds of clients, $2 million of which is owed to orphans and widows of the 2018 Lion Air Flight 610 crash. The firm also owes $11 million to victims of a 2010 gas pipeline explosion in San Bruno, California. She noted that it's most distressing to find evidence that many cases have settled, but the clients have not received funds from the settlement. She added that new claims for unpaid funds are coming in daily. So not only is there a mountain of debt and people who are owed money, there's more coming. Like, I think this box has just been opened. Can you imagine the people from 2010 watching Erica Jane travel internationally with her glam squad knowing that that you've never seen a penny from this horrific thing that's happened to you that you've won it's it's appalling and also to hear her brag about the forty thousand dollars a month it takes for her to get her look yeah like that is a thing she I mean that's just kind of gross to say it is anyway but when the money is you know off the backs of dead people. I don't know how else to say it. I mean, not to be dramatic, but that is like so appalling. So I think a lot of people are wondering, a lot of people are excited for the new season of Beverly Hills because we're curious, what all are we going to see? So Erica is notoriously private, right? She's pretty reserved. We don't get a lot from her and we don't know what she'll be able to say. I mean, I assume she's got a lawyer, but I haven't confirmed or read that. I think we're going to have to wait and see what all gets divulged. But I will say the trailer looks promising and just in general, like it's promising a better season than seasons past, which you and I have discussed have been pretty snoozy. Mm -hmm. So let's just listen to some of the things we hear and let's hope there's a lot more coming, but this is just what she reveals in the trailer. Guys, why don't we play this game where we say two truths and one lie? And we have to guess what's the lie. Okay. Okay? Two truths and a lie. Let's hear it, Erica. Here it is. You ready? I did not see it ending this way. I was going to hold that man's hand till he died. With any of the lawsuits, like, did you have a heads up? Is that why you got divorced? No, I did not. So let's break some of those down. After Dorit suggests playing a fun game of two truths and a lie like she made it up, she acted like she was like, you know, coming up with the best idea ever. Erica says, two truths and a lie. Here it is. You ready? I did not see it ending this way. I was going to hold that man's hand till he died. Let's talk about that one for a minute. Yeah. I interviewed on Dialogue a guy named Mark McClish who is a statement expert, statement Uh analysis expert. So he reads written statements and he also examines oral statements so like testimony that people right. say to cops on trial etc and he has a method of detecting the veracity of truth that someone is telling and he has a theory that everybody wants to tell the truth and you should believe what people tell you even people who are lying to get out of things are going to say as much that is true as possible 
Okay. It's it's almost subconscious, right? You just, you want to put in information that you actually know and you reveal more than you even realize you are. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard to explain, but if you want to listen to that interview, he's fascinating. I do. So when I look at this and it, I read, I did not see it ending this way. I was going to hold that man's hand till he died. I, I see a couple things and I go, yeah, she's telling the truth. She did not see it ending this way. No. (laughs) But it's not really answering the question probably of what was directly asked her. Right. And then she says, I was going to hold that man's hand till he died. Well, interesting to call him that man and not Tom. Yeah. And till he died. I don't know. I think that's a very ominous statement. I was going to hold that man's hand till he died. And it's also disempowering herself. Like he has done this. It's removing herself from the activity. And then when someone asks her if she had any heads up on the lawsuit, we heard her say, no, I did not. But she also shakes her head. Yes. Yes. Did you notice that? Yes. That you cannot like you cannot make that up. So that would be more of a body. What's the word? Language. Body. Yes. (laughs) Like a body, body (laughs) cue, a body language cue. So she shakes her head. Yes. And says, no, I did not. And that's actually really hard to do. If you are talking naturally and honestly and unfiltered, you would actually nod your head yes and agree, or you would say absolutely not, and you would shake your head no. That's kind of telling to me. And then Kyle says at the end, did you know any of this? And she says, no one knows the answer but him. That is not really answering the question at all. And again, she doesn't name Tom. And I'm just wondering, is she like not allowed to say his name? Like, I'm just really, She's really in intrigued. Yeah. I just Everyone she knows is named Tom and she oh, can't say the name. <laughs> this is going to get really hard for her. So I am like on the edge of my seat to watch this play out. Yes. And, you know, I don't wish ill on anyone, but I do think they really need to pay for what they've done. Yeah. Literally, like the actual dollars. And to me, jail time would be reasonable. Oh, yeah. I think to to go into that kind of law and then to do this is just it's it's really um, it, it just shows terrible character. And it and if it turns out that Erica knew about it, which I don't think she's a dummy. I really don't. Yeah. And then you just wonder, like, was this all, you know, about the money? And was that the whole draw for their relationship? And as soon as maybe there was a hint that this was going to go down, she removed herself. Who knows what really happens? In business and in a marriage, right? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but um, that is the story as best as I could get my head around it. And again, moving parts and changing every day. So there yeah. will probably be updates, but that's the status as I see it. Oh, wow. That's fascinating, Rebecca. I knew little tiny bits and pieces of that, but definitely to not not to that extent. And I I don't know. I, I didn't realize the whole COVID of it all or the right. driver's license of it all is what really, <laughs> you know did this or what was the catalyst? So that's the story of, as we know it right now, Tom Girardi and EJ Global. Welcome to (laughs) EJ Global. Sounds like an airline itself. But I'm curious what we're going to hear next from you, Melissa. Can we hear some clues? Yes. I'm actually excited about these clues because if anyone gets this, it means they've hacked into my computer and are tracking me because there's no way I don't believe anyone can get this. Oh, I like a good challenge. Yeah, this is a challenge. Ready? France. Mm -hmm. Twin. 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 Rapper. Whoa. 
Whoa, two out of three, and it could have been the Kim Kardashian jewelry heist. Could have gone either way. Could have gone either way. And I, I would be you. like, Melissa, I did that. Why? Yeah. <laughs> um. Wow. Yeah. And when you hear my reasoning behind the clues, I think you'll mostly roll your eyes. I'll get another Rebecca like hardcore <laughs> eye roll. But um, yeah, the audible France, eye roll. Yes, France twin and rapper. Well, we're intrigued for sure. I have no idea. I can't wait. And the clues are fun and they should be a little obscure. We don't want to make it too easy. Yeah, but even I might forget what, what it is. <laughs> been, been there. Glad we have this uh, audio uh, audio podcast to be able to go back to and yes. pull these clues. On yeah. the record. Oh, I like it. Okay, good. Well, I can't wait for our next conversation. In the meantime, any, any uh, TV watching going on over there? <laughs> yeah, that's about all I'm doing. Okay, so Rebecca, I'm watching something. And here are my clues for it. Uh, emoji, Netflix, nonsense. <laughs> oh my gosh. I feel like I should know this. Shapes. Oh, the circle. The circle. Yes. Yes. It's, it's one of the worst shows I've ever watched, but it's there. And so mm-hmm. I'm going to watch it. And they mm-hmm. do the weekly shows. I'm just waiting around until, what was the obviously Nick Lachey show? Love is Blind. Oh, God, I loved that show. <laughs> so terrible. I loved it. But they so came out terrible. at the same time last time. So I'm kind of hoping that's coming back and oh, this will hold me over. Me too. And I remember hearing about The Circle because I would bring up Love is Blind and people would go, oh, you should watch The Circle. And yeah. I'm like, just because I'm watching Love is Blind doesn't mean I need to watch The Circle. No. If you can get out of not watching The Circle, you're doing pretty good. It's- Melissa, there's always a way out. There. Well, now my daughter's watching it. So her and I have our favorite. So that's kind of a fun thing to do with her. That but is it's, fun. But it's people talking in emojis, which just I hate. They're like, um, and hashtags all the time. Uh, hey, Rebecca Hart, uh, hope you're doing great. Mind blown emoji, circle sent. Hashtag okay. girl gang. No thanks. <laughs> so is it, do they not meet? Is this where they don't see each other? Right. They don't meet. Uh, and you're trying to be the most popular player and you get to be an influencer if you are. It's really everything that's wrong with our society. Right. Like making a show, show about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But some people are catfish. So there's like an older gentleman who is playing a younger guy and there's right. a girl who's playing her husband. So those are kind of fun because last year one guy was a catfish and he was like pretending to be a girl. And he's like, yeah, I hate when I'm on my period. and Like my left side hurts every month. And they're like, you see the girls reacting to it. They're like, huh. I Mine's both sides. You know, he just clearly has no idea what he's talking about. So <laughs> that, that was bold of him. To it just like- was. They were all talking about cramps and stuff. He's like, yeah, when my left side hurts. And they're like, huh. That and you just- is really funny. You're like, that's appendicitis, sir. Yeah. <laughs> it was funny. Yeah. So it's nonsense. If you're watching it, please tell me what who your favorite is. Mine is Courtney. My daughter and I love Courtney. He is hilarious and like a pop culture kind of guy. Yeah. Um, and there's a girl from Too Hot to Handle on. She's very obnoxious. Her name is Chloe, but she's like good for the show. You know, whenever you're. Yep. Yeah. So those are fun to watch. I don't like her. Wouldn't want to meet her. I'm sure she's a nice person. Actually, I'm not. Um. <laughs> not so sure. <laughs> but I, I think do, that's her gimmick. Yeah, that's her shtick. I do like a show that I can get into with one of my kids. We, My daughter and I actually loved Love is Blind. That was like. Right. We enjoyed that together. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I'll think about it. Okay. No, I'm not. Please don't put this on your list. I have actual things for your list. This is not one of them. That's not one of them. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then I'll probably skip it. Okay. Okay. Not reality, not a okay. clue, but just letting you know. Um, 
Ireland, murder, marriage. I want to watch it, but I have no idea. What's it on? You should want to watch it. It's on um, Acorn TV because oh, okay. I did the Acorn thing. So those are all I UK. Have okay, good, good, good. Mm. So yeah, from Britain and beyond. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's from there. <laughs> and it's called The Secret. And it stars one of, I think he's like a big actor over in Ireland and England. His name's James Nesbitt. He's been on other shows. Okay. And it's crazy. It's this little Northern Irish community and there it follows this kind of very religious um, church, not okay. a cult, just religious people. The secret, and it's about uh, just not a cult. Okay. <laughs> Hashtag not a cult. <laughs> and there's two couples in it. And basically, the man from one and the woman from the other, opposite couples, fall in love with each other. Sure. And it happens. And they basically, instead of just having an affair, the man comes up with a plot where they should create the most complicated suicide plan where they murder Wait. their other spouses. This isn't a spoiler. It happens in the first few minutes. Sure. And they stage it to look like both spouses committed suicide. Okay. Dramatic. And it sounds far-fetched. It's incredibly dramatic. It is like some of the most high tension, like, I didn't know if I could keep watching kind of suspense. It was like okay. my stomach was hurting, but it was amazing. I think it's only four or five episodes. My husband and I watched it. It was very, very good. Dark. Oh, okay. Sad. And it spans a long time. So it starts when this happened, which was like in the 90s, and then it ends present, like uh, in the last few years. And it's based on a true story. Forgot the best <gasps> part. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, I have to watch that. Yeah. That's to. the kicker because it's not like a bad lifetime movie with yeah. some like melodrama. This actually is a real case. Yeah. Um, sometimes things are too ridiculous. So whenever agreed. it gets to lifetime, you're like, I can't do this. But if this happened. Exactly. <gasps> and truth is always stranger than fiction. I mean, that's why we watch reality TV because Absolutely. some of these plot lines sound unbelievable. And yet yeah. here we are. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm going to check that out for sure. That's like yeah, on really my good. real list, not my. I'll watch it list. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, not the circle list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, it's all right. It's okay. I saw you nodding yes, and you were saying, I mean, you were nodding no, and you were saying yes. Yeah, that's Did what I was. pull in yeah. Erica Girardi? Let's not say that. That'll I'm get like, you right to I'll court. Totally watch it, Melissa. <laughs> yeah, there now. you go. <laughs> Perfect. Well, before we go, we are going to be playing a promo from our friends with Criminal Conduct Podcast. They are starting their second season. They just started it last week, and it's about a constable in Kentucky. So Constables oh, are crazy, by the way. Did not know they were a thing. Are you surprised to hear that? I didn't even know they existed <laughs> until a few weeks ago. Well, I didn't know until I interviewed Javier and John on my podcast. Oh, okay. And so that's, I have the the little leg up, but um, whoa, I can't wait for their next season. Yeah, it's, uh, the first episode is great. I'm very excited to hear more. And the case is going on, so there's going to be court stuff involved in it. Love it. It's, yeah, it's like headline news in a podcast with friends of ours. So it's even more fun, right? The best. Yeah, so hang out and check out the uh, promo from that show. Oh, yeah, that's definitely on the listen list. Melissa, as always, this was super fun. I'm so excited and I can't wait for the next one. I am up to my eyeballs in research, by which I mean I've found my sources and now I've got to put it all together. 
Oh, this is the best part of the podcast when I'm done and then it's your turn. And I know you know that feeling. Oh, I have just been riding high all day waiting (laughs) to do this. It's the best part of it. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Well, can't wait and can't wait to talk to everybody soon. Yeah. Have a great two weeks. See you in two weeks. Bye. Criminal Conduct is back with a brand new season. John, what is a constable? Like a police officer, they can carry a gun, a badge, and drive around town with blue lights. But a constable is much more powerful than a regular police officer. In Kentucky, a constable has all the powers of a sheriff. He answers to no one but the voters on election day. And there's one constable in Kentucky that got our attention. Mike Wallace, the constable, was a walking civil rights violation. He's got a gun and a badge and is able to intimidate a lot of people. He'll pull people over. Hey, what's that in your car? So you have this rogue law enforcement officer with unchecked power making all these arrests. I mean, I get calls from people that are physically scared. If he got behind me and turned his blue lights on, I ain't stopping. We found out that basically Constable Wallace is just listening in on the right bandwidth and showing up to these calls before the police can. First guy there gets first whack at at making the arrest and making any money off of things. But how does a constable make money in Kentucky? Constables can keep up to 85% of the cash that they seize and a percentage of the proceeds from the property they take. But other constables have found other ways of making money. The one constable that we're talking about this season has been accused of shaking people down and stealing their cash. This guy that you bought these pills off is the father of the constable who steals dope, gives to his father to sell. It's been been long known that this has been going on for years. I said, now it's only a matter of time before uh, they come and get us. So they had a key, they opened the door, and they walked in on you guys sleeping, and you woke up to a bunch of cops with guns. Right. Woke up with two guns in my faces. That must have been terrifying, huh? Yeah. Listen, when you got a constable is out here hooking and crooking people and making more arrests than the state police and the local DEA. You know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like giving the fox the keys to the chicken house. This Wally guy is notorious for planting drugs, stealing shit. Everybody knows it. It's just we just can't we just can't nail him. He said, but you know what? You might you just might be the difference. From the creators of Twisted and Pretend Podcast comes season two of Criminal Conduct. The new season starts on April 16th. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm not a bad Thank you for listening to Criminality. If you're enjoying the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and give the show a rating and review. The reality is it would be a crime to keep your thoughts to yourself. And come join the fun outside of the podcast and follow us on social media. We are at Criminality Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Memes are welcome. We'll see you in two weeks with a new episode. Until then, you can catch my co-host Melissa on her weekly show, 
Moms and Murder. And Rebecca Sebastian on her podcast, Dialogue, a true crime conversation. Don't forget, loving reality isn't a crime.